Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Religion for Life comes to you from WETS in Johnson City and WEHC in Emory, Virginia. There is a lot of talk in the world about God. God does this, God does that. But what is God? Who is God? What do we even mean when we speak in those terms. We're going to engage in a conversation today about matters of the sacred, an honest discussion. I think you'll enjoy it. My guest is Val Webb, a theologian and author. Dr. Webb's professional career spans microbiology, business, public relations, writing, art, and theology. And she's written nine books, including In Defense of Doubt, An Invitation to Adventure, Like Catching Water in a Net, Human Attempts to Describe the Divine. That book won the general religion category of the USA Best Books in 2007. And in 2010, she wrote Stepping Out with the Sacred, Human Attempts to Engage the Divine. That's the book uh, we're going to be discussing today. She's with me via Skype from her home in Australia. Welcome, Dr. Webb, to Religion for Life. Thank you very much, John. When when I read your book, I felt affirmed. I, I, I find that um, much of religion and theology uh, leaves me constricted. Uh, too often it consists of too many beliefs uh, for my taste. And when I finished your book, the, the image that comes to mind is just a lotus flower opening up. You are open to science, to other faith traditions, to doubt, to honesty. Uh, tell me about yourself. What what uh, Can you name any influences in your life that led you to approach religion with this uh, degree of openness. Well, in some ways, it's I probably am at this point as a result of reaction. I grew up in a fairly um, evangelical conservative tradition. I was a God intoxicated child and teenager, um, very much wanting to be part of the of um, the religion and the um, evangelical conservative tradition. But I kept finding I had all these questions and doubts. And uh, for many, many years, I blamed myself for those doubts. I went on to do a science degrees and had, was trying to balance the questions I had, the religious questions that I had to believe, versus what I was taught in science, that you have to question and challenge and doubt to move beyond the status quo. And so I, this was the struggle for me for many years, because I was blaming myself for my doubting when really I was asking the questions that needed to be asked, but in my tradition you didn't ask. And so that's why in midlife, after other careers, I went back to university to, um, be, to be allowed to ask the questions or to at least find some answers. And then I discovered that all the theologians before me had asked the same questions and that really we were, we were being locked into particular understanding and beliefs that many other people had asked. And the the locking in was more of the blame game and the guilt game that, that you could not ask these questions about God. And so I became so absorbed then in the religious studies, went on to a PhD and taught. And I guess my passion now is to, um, what you're saying, open up the flower, mm -hmm. <laughs> let people see that we have been straitjacketed into certain theological beliefs where these these beliefs can be questioned and should be questioned. And so really, I guess my mission and my passion now is mostly to write for thinking lay people and to talk to thinking lay people, um, trying to release them from this religious prison that many people find themselves in. 
Stepping out uh, with the sacred uh, follows uh, the earlier book a few years ago, Like Catching Water in a Net. Uh, Can you give us an overview of what you're doing with these two books? Well, I think one of the biggest questions, one of the biggest questions for people who are asking the questions are questions about God. How do we describe God, who God is? Is there a God at all? And I think certainly in Like Catching Water in a Net um, attempts to describe God, I'm trying to point out that whatever we say about God is always a metaphor Mm -hmm. because no one has actually seen God. Um, We were actually told not to try and image God in any way. Um, The the great Moses command from God, I am who I am, which Karen Armstrong says basically meant mind your own business. And so this whole idea that, that God is not to be defined or confined I think has been a problem with religion over the centuries. Um, So I guess in like catching water in a net, I'm just trying to go across the religions and across religious experience to see how people have described God and whether we can describe God at all and what are the, the descriptions that best help us. We've been locked in Christianity in particular into images of Father, Lord, King, very much ruling images, external gods somewhere else, whereas I think in our contemporary scientific world, the idea of the energy, the spirit, the divine within everything is probably more accurate, or not accurate in that we can't say accurate about descriptions of God, but certainly more comfortable within our contemporary setting. So that was the first book, trying to um, help people think about God in ways that they could still still think about God. How we image God matters because the way we imagine God um, determines how we act towards God, how we relate to the divine. Um, if God's the policeman in the sky, we are scared, obedient people. If God is the energy within everything in the universe, and we become co-creators with this energy. So it's very important how we ourselves imagine God. And of course, the next step then, uh, books had to be stepping out with the sacred, because once we have, we, we allowed the freedom to think about God and to image God in ways that resound with our own personhood, then we need to think about how do we contact this God? How do we work with this God uh, or this divine energy? Uh, or whether we can, and or whether, whether there, we do contact it. God, whether we do live within the energy of the of the universe. Uh, so that was the second book. Well, things seem to come in threes. Is there a third book on the horizon? Well, actually, I, I have got one mulling around in my mind as a third one. I'm actually an artist as well, and part of the the the, the, the courses I taught at university, one of them was called Writing on the Wall, um, how looking at religious art. And way people, ways people have depicted the divine, and so there's a thought that maybe something like drawing. I was going to the idea of drawing breath because breath is such a good image for the divine. Uh, whether that one get that book gets done before a theological memoir, I'm not sure. 
My guest is Val Webb, a theologian and author. She is the author of Stepping Out with the Sacred, Human Attempts to Engage the Divine. And in the research for this book, as as well as uh, the previous book related to this, like Catching Water in a Net, Human Attempts to Describe the Divine, uh, you did a great deal of research, traveled around uh, over 50 countries, and, uh, and you write about uh, various ways that people have attempted to engage uh, the divine, sacred spaces, sacred objects, prayer, uh, various uh, communities and practices. Uh, were there any ways uh, in your in your research and in your travels uh, that surprised you or that you found particularly interesting uh, as you researched this book? Well, I think there's an interesting question that I needed to ask behind the book, and that was, what do people want? Um, you know, human beings, if, if we are reaching out or reaching inwards to the sacred, uh, we usually have some reason for doing that. Some people are looking for an afterlife insurance policy. Other people want something that will protect themselves with miracles now. Other people are engaged in the, the issue of wonder, wondering at things, and also being in wonder at the at creation or at the universe. Uh, other people want a wow experience. They want some sort of uh, experience of the divine that is tangible. Um, other people are looking for a relationship. Other people want to be within in the contact with others and also with the universe. And so I think that's an important what came out of it for me too, that we have to not just look at what people do to engage the divine, but we have to look at why they engage it. What do they, what do they want out of this engagement? And the other thing that came across looking across the religions is uh, when you say, what do people want? Um, they're also trying to solve different questions mm -hmm. about the human condition. For example, you have um, in the Christian tradition, it's about sin and salvation, trying to be forgiven. Um, in some of the other religious traditions, it's more traditions like Buddhism and Hinduism and, and the um, Chinese type religions. It's more about disharmony and moving back into harmony, about alienation and finding your centeredness, about getting rid of things that are unreal to find the real. So we've got even the different religious traditions have a different answer to what do people want. So when you did your research then, were there any practices that uh, you found helpful in, in your own life, um, uh, practices that, uh, that you might do to engage the divine? I, th I think, uh, I think um, what comes out in, in contemporary thinking a lot um, is, is the idea of meditation, of contemplation, of just being. Now, that's been in the traditions for years, but mm -hmm. often the, the mysticism, the contemplation, meditation has been marginalized because we have um, been more told what to believe through the church. But I think today you hear people saying, oh, I'm spiritual, not religious. And I think what they're talking about is that they, they want to have an experience within themselves. They want some autonomy in their own religious experiences rather than just being told what to believe. I've always been very much a nature person um, and, and to me still to be able to go and sit in nature, which a lot of people feel is the way, um, that's where I can experience some sort of the wonder. But on the other hand, I also think that just being alive, life itself is our contact with the sacred and that might come out further on when we talk about um, you know, how you imagine the sacred. Yeah. Um, 
Well, what are well? Let's talk about that. What are how how do we imagine the sacred? What are some ways that people think of God or of the divine? Well, I think there's certainly the traditional or the traditional way has been this external being on the cloud. Uh, certainly in the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. um, something out there um, organizing our lives more. Um, uh, the idea that that there is something uh, manipulating the universe, uh, sending car parks to people who pray. Uh, this sort of idea of God, um, whereas I think more contemporary ideas, certainly ideas that suit my thinking, are the ones where we see God within the universe. We see God as the divine energy, as the life, ground of being, was Paul Tillich's word. Mm-hmm. But the idea that that some, what we call God is part of the energy of the universe, not necessarily restricted in a certain way just to what we can experience, um, obviously much greater than that. And this sort of comes out in process theology, um, which sees God as the initial aim or the urge in every moment of every experience right throughout the universe. Um, I think for me, uh, that is that is a, a, the way that I actually can imagine the divine best, which means it's just about, it's about living. It's about every moment of our life is somehow energized um, or we are urged towards richness um, by that which is in the universe and within ourselves. Um, that, of course, has implications for prayer, <laughs> which we could also talk about. Um, is, is prayer asking for the shopping list of things that I want or asking for miracles to happen? Or is prayer as the divine energy within purely and simply that connection with something that is um, moving us forward, that, that joins us together within the universe. Uh, we can call it love. We can call it um, in any, in many, many terms uh, about the idea that we are interconnected. And this really helps with science because certainly our scientific understanding now is the idea of an organic interconnected universe. Well, you know, that question of prayer uh, comes up. I, I get asked that a lot. Um, uh, for those, um, and, and that's one of the struggles about leaving behind God as a being, uh, as an agent um, to whom prayers can be addressed. Uh, when when you let go of that, when, when God becomes something um, not a being, but, or being itself perhaps, what is prayer? Uh, how, how do we, if we lose the divine as an agent to answer prayers, is there value in prayer, and how is that done? I think there's value in prayer as conversation. Um, if we are, if we we are needing something, it's the conversation we have, or just the being with somebody nearby who we know loves us, supports us. It's that presence more than the words that are said or what we request. I think the idea of requesting God to heal people, to change things in the universe, you know, to save people from some disaster when other people will be killed, I find that very difficult theology because we've never ever really been able to to work that theology. What happens when when we pray and something doesn't get answered? Uh, what then? What's the answer? Mm-hmm. We've got all these different little answers where we say, oh, it wasn't God's time. God God sees the bigger picture. We have all these um, these ways to probably do a win-win situation for God. And yet for many people, that's been very distressing in their lives when things have happened 
and they have not got a response from God in the way that they would like. So I think we, I think a lot of a lot of contemporary Christians um, and religious people are moving away from that idea that God is just the miracle worker, and it's a hard move because we've been so ingrained that God is the supernatural worker. God's the one that's going to fix everything and give us these supernatural um, actions. Uh, But but to move away and think about God not as the all-powerful one that can do anything, because there's all sorts of theological problems there. You know, can God make a square circle, a round circle square? I mean, you can get into all these sorts of discussions when you hold that position. But more thinking about power... God's power or divine power as empowerment, the the ability to support, urge, um, empower rather than power over. And the idea of of, um, God working within everything in the universe, moving us towards richness, towards um, the optimal moments rather than stepping in as an interventionist God and changing things for some people and not others, which is always going to be the issue. Val Webb is my guest. She's a theologian and author. She's on Skype with me from her home in Australia. She's the author of Stepping Out with the Sacred, Human Attempts to Engage the Divine. And and you write that you leave open the possibility that there may not be a divine to engage. Uh, Just consider for a second with me a person who looks at the universe and doesn't see an agent controlling things. The universe appears to work by natural laws. There appears to be no external meaning imposed on the universe. And the person uh, looks at his or her consciousness. Uh, when that ends, uh, will end with uh, his or her death. So is there a sacred or even perhaps a divine sensibility available to such a person? I definitely think there is. Because uh, we are moving more into the, in this thinking, we are moving more into the, the present life as we know it, what we can know. I think what science is showing us, it's not disproving God, because I don't think that's the question between religion and science. Um, I think all of us will, will say that there are things that move, that are, are bigger than scientific experiment. Um, I have degrees in science, so I come from that angle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, science, very strictly, is asking, is doing empirical stuff. It's it's doing experiments that, in fact, will look more um, towards um, proving something is not something else, rather than moving on and saying definitely this is this is the only answer. Because science is always open to change and to adaptation and to questioning its its conclusions. And so and I think the more we learn about our universe, this becomes more and more so. The scientists are the first to say that if in five years' time more information comes about, they will then adjust their information. Um, this this is the is the um, the right way to do science. And so uh, the religion question is not a science question. But I think we the rest of us people people who are involved in religion or, or any sort of spirituality understand that there's a lot more to the universe than just what we can actually prove empirically. And, and I guess mm-hmm. what I often say about science and religion today is that it's wonder that can draw us together. 
um, so that it doesn't become two issues. Scientists wonder about the universe. They ask questions and they are in awe of the universe, probably more than anybody else. And people who are searching for God or making connections with the sacred are also full of wonder about the universe and they wonder about it. So that's, I think, um, where we can have our conversations between science and religion today. Not trying to prove one or the other or to argue one against the other, but to be joined together in the idea of wonder about the universe. And then we all have our own language. We have a different language. Uh, we can talk in religious terms. Um, science can talk in scientific terms, but without um, knocking the other one out. So a person who might just have a struggle with, with God or, or the divine or even know what that means could possibly step into the sacred by, uh, by engaging in this process of wonder. Exactly. And, and I think through, through, um, through science, through stepping up with the sacred has, um, the, the term itself, has the idea that we are walking with. Mm -hmm. We are not going towards, we are not, um, it's not something separate from us, but walking with. And I think if we can get that, that idea that whatever we're going to call the sacred, I mean, certainly Christians can call it God and have their definitions, but people who want to be spiritual can, can talk in those sorts of terms. Whatever I write about, my basic idea is to not start with doctrines or belief systems, but to start with the human being. What, what, what are we as humans and what do we want and how do we experience life as humans? Because when it comes down to it all, that's all that we can really know. Um, believing in the Bible is a faith statement. Believing in the Quran is a faith statement. What we can know is how to be human beings. And so um, if the divine energy is within everything, then we live that. We live that. It's a, life, a lifestyle of being in touch with what we feel as the, the center of everything, the ground of being what is leading us forward. You know, the traditional uh, religions, uh, world religions, all came of age, of course, long before the rise of science. Uh, and I'm wondering how religions can adapt, or should they? I mean, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, do they have, do you think, what it takes to help people engage the divine in our time? Uh, should they be updated? Can they be updated? I think if we look at religions as being human attempts to describe or in, engage the sacred, at that starting point, then religions have a lot going for them because they do offer us um, a place to explore what is bigger than ourselves. Uh, people have always been in search of how they fit into the universe, the, the bigger picture, uh, whether they call it the sacred or not. So religions do draw our attention to these questions about how do we, how do we, um, what, how do we live, what do we do? And what's so interesting to me is that the phrase that came, that is um, purported on Jesus' lips, um, do unto others as you would have them do to you, can be found almost word for word in the ancient religions in Sumatra, in um, Plato, in Confucius, in Buddhism, almost word for word. And I think what, what has happened there is that human beings, in the way they have lived, have decided that this is a noble way to live, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And therefore it has come into the language of all the founders of the major religion. And so that's a very human act that you find out 
what is the way to live as a community, and then it becomes part of the founder's tradition. And Jesus even acknowledges that in Matthew's Gospel when he makes this comment, and then he says, thus said all the law and the prophets, saying, I'm not saying anything original. This is something that we have all understood. So I think this is basically something that pulls us together. The religion has a very good core there in that it has, does have some noble truths. The problem is, is when we all the religions have added the doctrines that have to be believed, which are interpretations of the founders, and the doctrines become central, rather than what are the central um, ethical moments in each religion. So if the religions can um, move more to what they do, to the ethical components, to what their founders really said, rather than the embellishments of rules and regulations and beliefs, which have all been written and in um, ancient cultures, so have all sorts of baggage from ancient cultures, if they can if they can find the essence, and I think religions still have an incredible message um, to human beings. I have just one final question for you. You wrote a book about doubt uh, that is now in its second edition and is coming out in 2013 um, in the United States. Uh, uh, you write um, in, it's called In Defense of Doubt, An Invitation to Adventure. And, and you write about doubt also in Stepping Out with the Sacred. Um, you say, doubts do not flag weaknesses. They test humanly constructed belief systems. The distinction is crucial. As successive bottoms fall out of doctrines that no longer fit our cultural and scientific worldviews, we don't lose faith by asking questions. We are seeking authentic answers. Uh, end quote, quoting you. Uh, and that's what I found affirming that, uh, uh, in, in, isn't that itself, asking honest questions, uh, uh, stepping out with the sacred? I think it definitely is. And I guess this is probably the thing that I learned, I had to learn most in my particular progression out of a, a very um, constrictive type of theology. Um, we, we, I certainly grew up with the idea that doubt was a negative, that it was my problem. And it was through a long process that I started to realize that why in every other discipline, science, whatever we are working in, doubt is the cutting edge. Doubt is what leads us towards new answers. And I had to learn that and say, this is true also about religion. Doubt is maybe the nudge of God to get us out of some of the um, heaps of baggage that has formed around religion. We have to ask the questions. And I think the, the point I make in that is that people try and talk about faith versus doubt. And if you look in our hymns and lots of sayings, you know, where there is doubt, so faith, which is Francis of Assisi, as if they were opposites. But they're not opposites. To be without faith is to have no faith. To be without belief is to have no belief. But doubt is the discrepancy, the discrepancy between what we experience as faith or trust in something or someone and what we have been taught to believe about that experience. And so when, the, when that gap starts to widen, it is doubt that comes in the middle. Many years ago in religion, certainty was the best thing. We had to be certain. Once I believe, I'm fine. I had to be certain. But we realize now in our postmodern world that certainty is not all it was cracked up to be. And we are more on a journey which opens us always to new questions. So to think of uncertainty as being a positive 
and doubt as being a positive frees us up in our um, religious journey to ask the questions that need to be asked and not to try and walk in someone else's shoes. Val Webb, author of Stepping Out with the Sacred, Human Attempts to Engage the Divine, has been my guest on Religion for Life. Her website is www.valwebb.com.au. Also look for her new book, um, In Defense of Doubt, An Invitation to Adventure, uh, second edition. Uh, Dr. Webb, thank you so much for this book and for spending time with me on Religion for Life. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. For more information about programs on Religion for Life, including links to podcasts, go to religionforlife.com. Follow us on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC in Emory, Virginia. Be well.